Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 142 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Firstly, a quick announcement. I get a lot of people contacting me asking how they can work with me. So this is a little plug to let you know that I offer a range of services to vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs. From online training and group coaching to PR, content creation and copywriting services and one-on-one tailored individual private consultations. So if you're wanting help to promote or grow your vegan business, brand, product, service, book or other creative project, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com and click on the Work With Me menu link for more details. Now for the main part of the show. In this episode, I interview Louis Blake, an award-winning vegan marketer and serial entrepreneur in London, UK. Louis is the founder of the UK's largest plant-based restaurant, Erpingham House, as well as the Vegan Dough Company, and brand partner for fast-casual plant-based eatery chain by Chloe. Passionate about plant-based food and sustainable business, Louis is a recognised keynote speaker, having spoken at the London School of Economics, University College London and Goldsmiths University, as well as corporate engagements for Wagamama, Aviva, Innocent Drinks and the Global Restaurant Investment Forum. In 2019, he won the European Future Marketing Leader of the Year at the Restaurant Marketer and Innovator Awards, topping the 30 under 30 list. In this episode, Louis talks about how he's handling having to temporarily close the newest branch of his vegan restaurant after having opened for just three days before the UK went into lockdown due to the COVID-19 crisis why he's planning to open several vegan pizzerias in the midst of a global pandemic, why creating a community around his brand has enabled his restaurant business to survive in the current crisis, how vegan entrepreneurs need to market in the midst of COVID-19 and beyond, how influencer marketing has changed over the years and what's working right now, and much more. Here's the interview with Louis Blake. Hello, Louis. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's great to speak to you. How's it going? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, we were just chatting uh, off air, very interesting times. And I'm particularly glad to get you on the show at this particular time because I know you wear many hats. You're a bit of a serial entrepreneur, which we'll talk about, uh, including being an award-winning marketer. So I'm looking forward to some of the tips that you can share with us. But I like to kick off um, the very first question is why. So you've had a diverse career path, you, you know, from sport to hospitality and marketing. Tell us what your drivers and your reasons for doing doing what you're doing in the plant-based business and marketing space? Yeah, so I, I went plant-based myself um, 2015, so just over five years ago now. Uh, and at that time, 
Uh, it was a personal choice. It was around, it was centered around health. And I just couldn't believe the, the change in my mindset, in, in my body, in the way I felt. And I've, I went from someone who was very, very selfish, very, very, I guess, self-interested. And my businesses into that point had been all about making as much money as I possibly could and, and having a lot of fun, but a little bit purpose, purposeless at that point. Um, becoming plant-based and, and waking up to not only the health benefits, but the environmental implications and the obviously, obviously ethical uh, side of things made me want to show more people what was going on. I felt compelled to share what I'd learned with other people. And, and at that point, the... Uh, Veganism to me felt a little bit like I couldn't relate to it. I didn't look at anyone putting out content online um, or any particular companies that I really felt an affinity with in the plant-based space. So I kind of, what I wanted to do was kind of create brands and products that would speak to people similar to me. Um, and to start doing that, I very simply thought about, well, what are my skill sets? Um, you know, I enjoy marketing. I built up a good network in, in hospitality. I understand social media. How, how can I best leverage my skill sets in the interest of what I believe in, which is that we should all be eating more plants um, for our health, for the animals, and for the planet? And who needs my help? You know, how can I make an impact? And I saw a lot of companies kind of starting or companies already in market that were connecting with a vegan audience, but were struggling to connect with perhaps a non vegan audience. And I kind of recognized that that's where. The work needed to be done so I converted my agency I had at the time to work in a plant-based companies obviously the issue was in 2015 there wasn't many of them <laughs> um, I managed to work with a few mainstream brands in the UK restaurant brands and I quickly saw that food was a really effective way to speak to people particularly those that weren't vegan or perhaps never would consider becoming vegan um, and that's what led me to create the first restaurant i just found food is such a great way to connect with people and, and bring down those barriers that existed when you said the word vegan so yeah the why is is to, one to help people connect with themselves to, to feel healthier to feel more conscious to, to reconnect with the food they're eating it's to help people connect with each other so i, I believe that veganism is a, is a great catalyst for compassion uh, in the way we treat each other the way we treat animals um, and Thirdly, for environmental reasons, I think veganism, although not perfect, is, is a great way to reduce our, our footprint. And I think we can help people make those decisions to transition to a plant-based lifestyle. We can collectively uh, create a more conscious and sustainable world. Mm, I love that. I love that. A similar sort of journey to me I did because my background is journalism and I was kind of like, well, how can I use my skills and who can I help? So I've sort of focused on helping uh, vegan entrepreneurs. So I, I love that more and more people are doing that. And I love that people come to, you know, veganism and plant-based living from different angles. Um, you know, like you said, initially it was kind of health and then your eyes got open to ethics. Mine was the other way around. You know, mine was very much from an animal rights background, but then I figured I, that I found out that the health and environmental benefits are a bonus. So it really is a, a win all around. So I love that. And I agree with you about the food uh, thing. So on that, you've opened, I believe uh, you've had about um, five vegan restaurants. Um, now the hospitality industry, obviously it's known for being very challenging. What were some of the key challenges you faced when opening your vegan eateries and how did you deal with them? Hospitality is ruthless. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely ruthless. I mean, I think if you think of, say, a consumer consumer product or a service business, typically people aren't consuming your product in front of you. 
you know, uh, whereas in a restaurant, you know, you've literally, you've got instant feedback. And there's so many moving parts. There's so many things happening at once. You know, if, if you have an expensive rent, you're more motivated to open more often, even perhaps when you don't want to. Um, so there's very little time to fix the background goings on. Um, and for hospitality, in terms of a, a profession for many people, especially in the UK, is regarded as kind of a stopgap. So people will do it while they're at uni. So getting people to take their job more seriously than kind of a side job or purely for financial reasons is difficult. The difference, obviously, with veganism is that if you can attract the team that are vegan and that really care about why they're coming to work beyond the job, it does make things easier. But in terms of hospitality specifically, I guess the main challenge, particularly with a vegan restaurant, is that although veganism is growing, certainly, you know, two years ago when I started, um, there wasn't the same level of popularity there is now. And there certainly wasn't enough people to sustain vegans to sustain a fully vegan restaurant if that was my core audience. So I recognized very, very early that I, I had to appeal to not just vegans, but people that weren't vegan. So it was really about developing ways to speak to an audience in meeting them where they were, but in a way that was at the intersection of what we did and what they believe in. So for example, if you've got somebody who's interested in health and wellness, but isn't vegan, you can have the health conversation with them and talk about the benefits of increased fruits and vegetables, etc., without necessarily having to position veganism in front of them and one of the things we did early on was we refrained from using the word vegan in our marketing not because we you know that wasn't our mission that is entirely what our mission is about but more because we wanted to try and speak to an audience that weren't vegan and today i would say 80 percent upwards of our customers aren't vegan at all mm. um hospitality as well you know you've got really high overheads and running costs small margins um Lots of competition, very saturated market in the UK, competing with chains who don't make any money but are highly financed so that they don't have to. Um, it's, it's, it's a very difficult business and it's, it's a business that you, I think you really have to be in if you, you have to love it. Yeah. Or, or, or it's just <laughs> too hard. It's just too difficult otherwise. It's you interesting, know, you yeah, to, you say that. I interviewed Heather Mills and she said a, something similar. Um, you know, when she was talking about um, people opening cafes, she said, unless you absolutely love it, uh, you know, and you're prepared to put in those hours, don't bother kind of thing. Totally right. I mean, you have to you have to really connect it to a, to a greater purpose than purely making money. Yeah. With any business, but even more so for hospitality because – there is so many moving parts. It is yeah. so difficult. It is so expensive to start as well. And I think, you, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an uncommon level of confidence and conviction in what you're doing to really drive that business because all the odds are against you, the, the, the statistics. And, you know, you just have to look around at how many high street restaurants, pubs, bars, et cetera, are, are shutting. Um, you really have to have to believe in what you're doing for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I'm, and sadly, the it's one of the industries that has been the most hardest hit by the current COVID-19 pandemic. Now, and I'm curious how that's impacted your uh, current restaurants, because I believe you've got to two particular ones, one in Norwich and, and then you opened a branch in Brighton for Erpington House, if I said that right. And I think that only opened just last month, so right in the middle of the pandemic. So tell us a little bit about how your business has been impacted and what you're doing to, to sort of cope with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you know what? Through the, through the restaurant, in, we opened Erpington House in Norwich in May 2018. 
Um, I think I learned more in that first year about restaurants and, and probably business in general than most people learn in 20. It was a, <laughs> it was, to say it was a roller coaster would be putting it very, very lightly. So when it came to opening the second one and a period of you know eight months leading up to the opening date, we opened for three days before we had to shut. Oh, gosh. But I think most people would have been crushed. But to yeah. be completely honest, I'd been through so much with the first one. Yeah. It was immediately the thought process was, okay, how can we pick it? What can we do to protect the business long term? Yeah. What, you know, we, we, were very, we were very proactive as to what we could do rather than what we couldn't do. And what could you uh, do? What, what were some well, of the things you identified? Well, the issue we had, because we'd opened for three days in that site, we didn't have um, delivery set up. We weren't confident enough in... Um, in the area to be able to immediately transition to a delivery only model. And our style of food was reflective of very much dine in. We weren't, we didn't develop a menu for delivery at that stage because we were phasing our, our kind of opening. So we looked at the two sites that we had and we said, okay, so we're going to close Brighton. Um, even though it's been three days, we'd rather launch properly, put it on ice, come back when this is kind of over and do what we can for the staff in the meantime. Obviously, they've only just started, so they didn't unfortunately qualify for the furlough scheme, and we weren't in a position to maintain a team for too long after without trading. Yeah. And, but we did have the restaurant in Norwich, and the, what we did immediately with Norwich was we started, because we've been there two years, we started providing free food for kids that would normally get free school meals. We were providing free food for NHS workers and we were telling staff that they could come in and, and, and eat with us because they weren't working and they weren't getting their expected wages. Um, we didn't fire anyone. We kept everyone on. Um, we paid them up to the end of the month and then we qualified for the furlough scheme. So we were able to protect the staff. And then we looked at what we could do. So what we could do is we have in-house yoga sessions, in-house meditation sessions, in-house kind of recipe guidelines. We ramped that up. So we, we were putting out lots more content. Um, we had a delivery uh, company working out the same kitchen. So we scaled that up. We increased our delivery capacity. We worked with the, the local farmers, the local suppliers, see what we could get, what we couldn't, adapted the menus, and were really proactive in terms of sending out our delivery and expanding that menu. And we really just went about how can we serve our community at this time? It's really difficult, but what can we do to help with what we have? And then from a team perspective, ask them what they wanted to contribute and what they thought they could contribute contribute at that time so that that business is is had to pivot in terms of um what it can do physically but in terms of the content and organization and that from that perspective we've ramped things up and we're we're actually grateful for this time because it's really allowed us to get our house in order on some of the things that we didn't have wow uh, that's before. amazing i love that i'm curious though when you said with the brighton one you had to you kind of closed it after three days but so what happened in terms of any because obviously you'd still have some overheads like i imagine you would have to still pay rent and like things like that or other just general expenses yeah. so how are you kind of coping that? are you kind of hoping that what you make from norwich will balance that out well we were, in a, we were in a positive position going into that opening. Um, what I've done previously with openings, and again, I learn, you learn from experience. I was a little bit, um, I'm not very risk advert. Let's, let's put it this way. I don't mind a risk. So when I opened the Norwich restaurant, I actually put the deposit down and the first quarter's rent myself. And I didn't have any investors at that point or I didn't have any other cash. So I took the building on for 15-year lease without the means to wow. fit it out or operate it. I just yeah. believed that I was going to do it. When the second one came around, I had the opposite attitude because I now have invested <laughs> partners. So I said, right, I'm going to make sure that we have 
sufficient capital that we can run this business for a loss for the first six months. So we, we had some cash in place to, to pay our overheads. Obviously, we were, we, we've been be- we benefited from some of the government measures that have been put in place, which has been great. Oh, and we've, just, cool. we've had to negotiate with our, with our suppliers and say, look, you know, this is the situation. Can you work with us? Uh, and everyone actually has been really supportive. We're all in the same boat. What we've done um, with our, our kind of sister company and my other business is the, the vegan pizza brand. Is We were planning to open that in London uh, later this year. We've actually brought that forward. We've opened, we're opening three locations for that brand, three new kitchens this month. We just opened one yesterday in Wentworth. Wow. We've really? got two more, yeah. two more opening Islington and Crouch Ends, uh, Vegan uh-huh. Doco, that company's called. And it's oh, uh, vegan, right. vegan yeah. pizza. Ah, so you're making yeah. actual vegan so pizzas that was, to deliver yes. to people. Yes. Oh, yeah. So we, wow. we've been doing that from that's in Norwich. That, that, that business has run from the same kitchen as Erpingham House in Norwich for the last eight months. Um, we had, and we had, it went, it's been really well received. We wanted to take it to London, but this kind of the COVID situation has been the opportunity. More people are at home, more people are trying to order. But the issue that, that many people have that are vegan is that there's not much in terms of vegan food on delivery platforms in London yeah, at the moment. Right. So right. we wanted to make sure that, you know, where you can order from Pizza Express or Domino's, but, you know, there's a risk of cross-contamination. They're not fully vegan kitchens. They don't have, I, I don't feel that they're necessarily the best quality products either. They're not always great. So we, we saw the potential to, to really, you know, in light of the situation, again, that proactive attitude, what can we do? Yeah, so we're launching these free locations um, for delivery. Wow. Fantastic. I love that. I love your creativity. You know, it's like, you know, this global pandemic's happened and you're opening three new businesses in the middle of it. I, I love that. You're definitely a serial entrepreneur, which is um, amazing. Now, of course, one of your key talents as well and your background is marketing. So I wonder if we could sort of dig in a little bit and get some tips from you because you're an award-winning marketer, um, you know, which is pretty cool. So tell us a little bit, what do you think are some of the key mistakes that business owners, vegan or otherwise, but obviously in, in terms of this podcast, vegan businesses uh, or business owners make with their marketing and what should they do instead? I think a really, a really obvious one for me is people don't know why they exist. They don't have their, and because they don't know why they exist, they don't know how to direct their marketing. So we, our mission dictates how we speak to our audience. So one of the, one of the most obvious ways, for example, is with social media. And you, you know, you hear companies say, well, we're on social media. We do Facebook, we do Instagram, but there's a, there's a vast disparity between putting up a, a picture of a product and saying, buy this now mm-hmm. and putting up a really, you know, really informative, engaging piece of content that invites the, your community to, to speak to you and, and benefit from. So I feel that a lot of uh, marketers have a short-term approach to sell product rather than a long-term approach to build community, which by default will then buy product because they see value in it and they see value in you. So I, th- I think first and foremost, foremost is, is leadable value try and look at again come back to that intersection comment i made earlier try and position content at the intersection of what you do and what your audience is interested in so for us we know that our inter- our audience are interested in mindfulness they're interested in sustainability they're interested in health they're interested in cooking so understanding that helps us to direct our content and when we do produce content we produce it across a variety of mediums in a variety of formats 
but we do it in such a way where we're looking at how can we give this audience real value. And the more we do that, the more we position ourselves as an authority in that marketplace, but the more we build loyalty with those customers. And when we do come to sell something, it doesn't feel so forced. They feel more inclined to buy from us and continue to shop with us because they, they've, we've built that relationship. So I think fostering relationship and community is so important. And really in this pandemic, we've seen that pay dividends because the, the day we put our vouchers on sale, for example, we were inundated with people buying vouchers. And that really said to me that, wow, you know, we've got a community that really cares about us as a business and what we stand for. And that's been built up over time by all the value we've given them online. So, yeah, I, I think trying to have a longer term approach, trying to po- focus on giving value, trying to focus on fostering community, not paying attention to the vanity metrics of how many f- followers you've got, how many likes a post get, but really getting to know your audience and speaking to your audience. Mm, I like that. I like that last bit in particular when you said, because it can be so easy, isn't it, to kind of look at your post and go, oh, not many people have liked it or not many people have commented on it. But it, it, you're right. They, you know, if people aren't buying from it, then it, it is just vanity metrics. But I also like what you said about the fact, like, because you're basically, you know, it's a plant-based restaurant. And so you might just think, oh, well, all we can post is food. But I love what you said about, well, actually your audiences or your, you know, your customers are interested in those broader things like mindfulness and sustainability. And that gives you a lot more scope to create really really interesting uh, content that people will love and engage with. So um, I hope that will give people some some ideas to think a little bit more creatively rather than here's what we've got on the menu tonight kind of thing, which you see a lot of restaurants, which is nice. I mean, it's great. And obviously, you know, it showcases the the meals, but it's not the only thing that you can do. You know, you can add add these other things in. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so in terms of now, um, it's a tricky time. We're in the middle of the the, uh, the pandemic. And obviously, we, we want as business owners, we want to be sens- sensitive to people. So can you give any tips about how to market in the midst of this global pandemic? What are some do's and don'ts in terms of marketing and promotion? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because at this, whilst you know we're, I see a lot of people initially scrambling to make sales to keep the revenue coming in. It can be deemed insensitive. You know, we're, we're a lot of people. They don't have the same, the same. Uh, they're not in the same financial position as they perhaps were. And the world, we don't know when we're going back to normal at this point. And um, so there's a lot of anxiety around at the moment, particularly when it comes to finances. So. What we're finding effective at the moment is we're looking, we're really analyzing our audience. We're seeing, well, what are people posting about? What are people sharing? What are people engaging with? You know, and, and don't be afraid to look at what other brands are doing as well. Look at what, you know, the brands that you look up to on social media. How are they talking to their audience? What kind of content are they sharing? What mediums are they using? Um, I think an interesting way at the moment is collaborations, where a lot of perhaps content creators, bloggers, um, etc. who maybe you wouldn't have been able to work with before have now got more time on their hands. It's a really good way to collaborate with someone who perhaps can speak to your audience and, and would add value to your audience and um, collaborations, whether it's IGTV, podcasts, Instagram, blogs, whatever that might be. Um, I think if you're some, if you have a company that has a product or a service that can add value to people at this time, whether it's in terms of health, immunity, it's mindfulness, maybe it's yoga. Think about how you can give small examples of those things for free. How can you can get people to um, give some value in terms of them being able to use those resources or those products, but equally give them a taste of what you're doing. Um, and if it is valuable, then you shouldn't feel 
uh, you shouldn't feel guilty about um, positioning positioning it to somebody because mm. it's useful for them. You know, yes. you're doing them a service. You know, you, I think that we get stuck sometimes in feeling that oh, we we shouldn't sell to people. Well, yes. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you if you if you if you really believe that what you're selling is going to add value to somebody's life, then you should feel obligated to push it. Thank you. Exactly. Not, yeah. Not exactly. bad. Not, not, yes. not, not bad about it. So precisely. So, um, yeah. So I yeah, that. I think it's. I think I think it's about changing our uh, changing our perception from from. Uh, from being a seller to being someone that adds value. And if your company doesn't add value to somebody's life, then maybe it's time to rethink what you do. Yeah, absolutely. For John, now you touched on, you know, collaborations and I know you mentioned like, you know, bloggers, etc. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about influencer marketing because I know there's kind of schools of thought that say, oh, influencer marketing's over, you know, it was very 20, whatever it was. Um, but then others saying, no, it, it is still very relevant, but it's different. So I wondered if I could get your thoughts on influencer marketing, how it's changed over the years and um, what in your view is working right now there's a few things I, th- I think I don't think it's going anywhere I think it's only gonna it's only gonna grow and adapt as you said it will evolve I, what I'm seeing at the moment is brands are fostering relationships over longer periods so rather than it being a one-time thing um, you know sending products having a post done you know discount code whatever it might be a very kind of um, embryonic influencer marketing it's now transitioning into um, ambassador type role. So you'll perhaps work with someone over a longer period of time. Um, we're also seeing influencers not just produce kind of aimless photo content. They're now producing instructional videos for gym brands or recipe videos for food brands. You know, there's there's more going on in that sense. And also the way that we think about influencers. So, you know, it's natural now because we all know what an influencer is. You see someone with half a million followers standing holding a product saying buy this it feels very inauthentic it's like watching a tv commercial Mm. whereas you see someone with perhaps less followers but a highly engaged audience talking about how much they love cooking with ingredient x and you know showing a recipe with it that feels much more authentic so i see a lot of brands that are working with micro influencers a lot more but at at the same time at this time brands also can't shoot product at the moment so, you know, there's, there's not photo shoots going on. There's not video shoots going on at the moment. So for, for, for brands at the moment, just in terms of creating great content, regardless of the, the posts that follow, um, I'm seeing a lot of brands send products out to influencers that, that, uh, that are great creators. Maybe they don't have a huge amount of followers, but they take great photos, great videos and saying, hey, can you shoot this for us? Yeah, um, right. And you don't need to have a whole load of followers, for, a whole load of followers to be a, a great photographer or a great um, Great, make great content you know so I think that I think the, the it's opening up a lot more for a lot more people I think the platforms are changing as well you know you've now got the emergence of TikTok mm. um LinkedIn is, is is changing and it's one of my favorite platforms at the moment yeah so, I like LinkedIn to, as well I get a lot of engagement on there it's good same yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's like Facebook three years ago you know and the algorithm is much different so LinkedIn drives a lot of success and I think smaller smaller brands now are seeing the value and, and getting to grips with it. Where, you know, a couple of years ago, I would get sent product, and that was it. Here's our here's our bar of soap. Okay, do you want me to take a photo? Do you want me to? Walk? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of photo do you want? What what you know? What's the call to action? What do you want me to post? What's your Instagram? Now it's like, okay, here's a here's what we'd love for you to do if you like it. It's a little bit more thought there's a little bit more thought going into it rather than just sending someone a product aimlessly and saying, can you post it for us? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is great, which is great. 
For sure, for sure. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. It's good to see yeah, different perspectives on that because like you say, it has, you know, kind of changed over the years for sure. I was actually, it's quite funny, someone, there's a vegan cheese company here and I'm friends with a woman who owns it and she said, she rang me up and she said, I've got these cheese kits. You can make your own vegan cheese. And she knows, like people who know me know that I don't make stuff. I'm, I'm one of those vegans that does not, I, I love going to places like yours, like restaurants and being fed. Um, and she said, she said, can I send you it? And I said, look, I'm not going to use it myself. Myself. I said but if you want you can send it to me and like I'll unbox it and I did this quite amusing thing where I unboxed it and I was like so there's this kind of ingredient it looks like some powder no idea what it is and I said oh my god look at how many look at the you know instructions it's far too complicated for me and it was almost like like I did it and my partner Tracy said that was a terrible review but then Melissa the woman who did it she loved it and I posted it and people were laughing at it they were going I'm just going to buy one because the video was so funny because it was almost like an anti-promo do you know what I mean I was kind of like well it's not for me but look it's probably lots of fun for those of you who like to do it so you know you can kind of get authentic isn't it yeah it was definitely authentic it was like you know I said I said what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it to my next door neighbor and if I'm lucky they'll make the cheese and bring me the finished product and I'll enjoy (laughs) the cheese and it went down really well it was quite funny just because it was it was just if I'd you know been sent that and then tried to make out I was genuinely making cheese I mean it would probably just have been a comedy thing because it would have you know been a disaster anyway but it was actually good promo for her so but yeah it, it just a, it, the authentic, authenticity good, is definitely in yeah it's a good tip it's a good <laughs> tip for, it's a great great tip for influencers as well because you know while we're starved of human 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 interaction at the moment you know we're not seeing our friends we're not you know we're not engaging people as, as we were we want we're craving that kind of that genuine authentic kind of experience with people so it's far more effective for somebody to share you know uh, a really authentic review of something where they're speaking they're on camera you know they're showing themselves than it yes. is to post kind of a moody photo holding up yes. like a product yeah you know, this, time, <laughs> this time this time more than ever exactly um, that's brilliant now i understand that you are also a brand partner for by chloe in the uk and i'm familiar with by chloe i went to their opening actually i stood in a queue in new york when they very first opened their first one and obviously it's taken off uh, massively um what does that entail so being a brand partner what does that entail and how did that partnership come about so yes yeah, so i I've been a big fan of By Chloe for, for many years, actually. I, used to, I lived in New York uh, once upon a time. Um, still got lots of friends there. So it's where I'd always go and eat when I was, when I was over there in town. Um, obviously, launched in London. I was aware of the launch. Um, when it happened, I had, uh, a, I guess, a rival restaurant at that time, um, but kept tabs on kind of what was going on. And, uh, yeah, I spoke to the team here. I've been speaking to the team on and off here for a while. It just like a really natural fit for me obviously i want to get more people eating plants um they completely align with with, with where i want to be in my mission um foresight's in london ambitions to grow that out and um, it's perfectly aligned with, with with what i want to do as well and um, great products really exciting stores great you know great team behind it um, and it was just yeah it was just a, a kind of a partnership that made complete sense um day to day a little bit of everything, really. Um, quite very similar to, to what I do for my own uh, for my own places with regards to kind of uh, marketing, communications, leveraging relationships. Um, a little bit of overseeing of, of, of the stores themselves. Um, but again, it's, it's been an exciting time because similar to 
where well, where we've been with Erpingham House, by Chloe's been very much right. What can we do? So we've opened up additional kitchens for for by Chloe for delivery. We've continued collection in in, uh, in Oxford Circus and Tower Bridge. And we're looking at our summer activations and what we can do for the rest of the year. We've got some great stuff coming up on social media. So, yeah, it's been, it's been very, very proactive. And it's, mm. it's been great that, that, um, that everyone's, you know, looking to, to, to be optimistic and see what we can do and how we can go out and continue yeah. to have fun. Oh, I love that. And I love the fact that you can have your own vegan eateries and you've also got this collab. You can still work for, you know, what some people might go think, oh, it's a competitor. You know, it's another plant-based eatery, but it's, you know, it doesn't have to be. You can collaborate and it can be a, a win-win. Um, so I love that. So in terms of your marketing, you talked a little bit about you do the marketing and communication for them and your company. As a marketer yourself, how much of your of the marketing for your businesses, and you've got several, as we've found do you either do you outsource or do yourself <laughs> so this, is a, this is a bit of an ongoing joke so I've got a, uh, um, I've got a, uh, a coach um I, I have coaching from someone and well, this has been a running joke for us for the last year it's because I can't let go of, <laughs> of the marketing so I've got another I've got another couple of businesses as well um in a different industry in football and I still I still can't leave the Instagram alone and with you know I've, I've talked about outsourcing it and I know that I can't do it forever but do you know that I actually I love doing it I, it's what I enjoy and I'm very self-aware I know where my strengths are I know where I can add value and I've just more recently I've, I've kind of pivoted to doing the kind of the strategy and the and the overall um as opposed to like every individual post yeah um, but no I'm I'm, I'm super involved on all businesses on that side of things. I'm very hands-on with it. I, I really enjoy it. I, I, I love communicating with people. I love um, the visual side of it. I love the, the creativity to it. Um, and I think, you know, if you enjoy it, it doesn't matter what position, you, you know, you, you're in. It's, it's what I'll always want to do within the company. So I'm, I'm not very good with, I'm not great at operations. I've had to learn that. I'm not great with the numbers. Although, again, I've had to learn that and have a reasonable level of uh competency with it but yeah it's, it's what i enjoy so i'm still very very hands-on with it i'm still in the, in the dms and like we've launched vegan doco in london and i'm running i'm fully running the instagram page wow whereas the whereas the earthing of house socials we, we do have a marketing manager in that business oh, um, okay. but i work closely with her we'll sit down and we'll she'll manage the accounts day to day we'll do yeah. kind of the ideas and planning together got it so and it's interesting because i know some business owners listening to this will be cringing going oh my god you know they're so busy in their restaurants or in their own businesses whatever business they've got and social media or marketing is kind of like it's like when have i got time to do this kind of thing but I, so i thought it was interesting to say that you you know you're playing to your strengths and obviously i guess you've got staff doing some of that other stuff because there's only so many hours in the day um you know to do so to do marketing for one business let alone own several that you've got um so for for those for vegan entrepreneurs who do want to outsource um what what should they be aware of what are some of the pitfalls of hiring a marketing consultant or agency and uh, if they do decide to do that what should they look for to pick the best um this is this is a really difficult really difficult one for people because the, the, pro the most common problems are you either get somebody who's great at marketing but isn't vegan. And because they're not vegan, they don't look at things in the same way you do. 
or you get some and they're motivated differently as well or you get somebody who's vegan and very enthusiastic that lacks the the knowledge and the application on the marketing side of things and i think this is still a problem i see i've not yet come across an agency or, or an individual um, that has both that that's kind of what that's what i was doing before and um, that's what we were doing um, and again the other issue you've got for many is that if you're a small business the average marketing agency's fees don't correlate with where you are so you end up getting somebody who's can tick the boxes and, and manage the accounts and do what I, what I would call management as opposed to really kind of the creation um, we've worked with a few agencies in London which are which are great and if you can you know if you can direct them and, and give them the, the the piece from the vegan perspective can work really well and um, but I would suggest to anyone develop a basic understanding yourself I mean that's what I've done on the operation side is what I've done on the financial side mm. have a basic understanding and then outsource the I guess the management side of it and the you know the bits that you don't necessarily have time to do yeah it's, it, it's difficult and the, you know, the, 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 it's difficult because it's very very easy nowadays to look like you know what you're doing it's very, very easy to create an Instagram page and a following based on looking like you know what you're doing. I would always look for, I would always look for who they work with, get testimonials, ask around. I find that's the best way with agencies is really to have an ask about and see, you know, see who's done great work for somebody else. Yeah. And I suppose similar goes to people who are freelancers as well, you know, who work sort of individually as well. It's, uh, yeah, see totally. what they do. Yeah, for sure. Totally, yeah. Yeah. In, in, interesting. Good. Thank you. Um, it, well, if you, if you are a marketeer as well, and this, hmm. is the, this is the point, this is the caveat, go and do it for free. If you're somebody who's getting started and you, and, you, and you are very good and you know what you're doing, go and do it for free for someone. I mean, I even did this. I even did this at four years ago at, at you know, I'd had an agency for four years at that point. I'd set up my, my kind of vegan one. I wanted to get in with one of the big restaurant brands. And, I, you know, I was in a new business. I didn't have a track record. I went in and, and did three months for free for them, showed what I could do, and then got a, a big contract. Nice. So I think sometimes, you know, if you are, if, you, if you're listening to this and you're, you know, you're a, an independent, you're a, you're a small agency, sometimes to get those big wins, which you can then later leverage to get even bigger wins. Yeah. You have to yeah. be willing to do do it for free to showcase what you can do. And once you've got, once you've got, you know, um, a decent, decent reputation from having worked with a few, you know, good brands or reputable people, you can then leverage that for years afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's very, very good advice for sure. For sure. Um, so last couple of questions to wrap up, what would you say have been, cause it sounds like you've had a big learning curve for what you've said already. What, what would you say have been the key lessons you've learned through running your various businesses? Um, lessons. Yeah. Well, <laughs> where do, where do I start? Um, <laughs> I think, I think learning to delegate, has been a massive one for me. And yeah. um, again, it sounds like I'm still learning it from listening to myself back on this with the social media. Stuff, <laughs> yeah. Get off but, that Instagram. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but being, being willing to, to give responsibility to other people um, has, has been a massive one. And I think, you know, it's that, that thing of what got you here won't get you there. Sometimes in the, in the early stages, you have to do everything yourself. Um, you know, and, but to get further ahead and to scale up, it's impossible. So you have to entrust other people 
people. If you are interested in other people, just be very clear on what you want. Establish clear communication streams, set KPIs, agree on dates and deadlines, and then help, be willing to hold people accountable. Um, but equally offer them the, the support that's needed and check you know, that they, they, they understand. Um, resilience. I'm more resilient than I realised. And I think that's probably the number one trait of entrepreneurs is, is to be resilient. It's uh, interesting you say that because when I wrote my book, Vegan Ventures, I, that was a question I asked, like what qualities do, do vegan entrepreneurs need? And resilience is, was the number one that people cited. If you don't have that, you know, you co- obviously you've got your why and your mission and your passion, but if you haven't got that resilience, you may as well go and get a job because, yeah, you really got oh, to totally. have that. Yeah. And it's, and however hard you think it's going to be, times it by, times it by a hundred. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> so much, it's so much hard. It's so much harder. But on the flip side of that, and this is probably the biggest lesson, I, I now want it to be hard. Really? Oh, that is an interesting quote. Yeah. Wow. And I'll t- I tell you, I'll tell you why, because I've only find myself with the level of understanding that I have now because of how hard it's been and it's worth it as hard as it's been. And as, as many times as I've kind of felt like I, I can't do this or I want to stop or felt like a victim on the other side of it, I've got so much from it. You know, your, your learnings are in proportion to your challenges. So I believe in going out and, and, and wanting challenges, but wanting to also get the learnings from them. And oh, I love that. through that, that's how that resilience grows. Mm. You know, you develop, you develop that, that, that kind of rock solid mindset. And when a problem comes up again, that used to be a big problem, it's now a small problem. Like you remember at the start, when you start a business and you know, you get your first invoice comes in and maybe you then find yourself, you can't pay it on time. And then you get your first chaser from the, from the accounts team. I, you know, you feel like you're about to be invaded. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like, oh my God, people are chasing me. Yeah, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> Whereas, you know, you, you then, and you know, someone's chasing you for a small amount of money. You're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh no. And then you get to a point where you've got, you know, six, seven figure sums you're talking about. It's like, oh yeah, fine. Yeah, I'll handle fine. it. Yeah, no problem. They can wait. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, oh, no. just an example i'm not saying that's what i do but, <laughs> but you know your your your, your, your ability to with the ability to withstand pressure greatly increases from the pressure that you've previously been under yeah. you know i i really believe I, the, the problem i think a, a massive problem today is that we put we protect and kind of mollycoddle each other from any kind of challenge you know if anything's too hard don't do it if anything's too stressful don't do it yeah stay in your comfort zone and you don't get any grump you don't get any growth do you the only growth that happens is when you get out my my favorite self-attributed quote quote is comfort zones breed clones if we all stay in our comfort zone yeah we we become clones of each other that's true we never challenge and our challenges are what make us unique you know we all go through different challenges and from those challenges develop unique skill sets and attributes and personalities and that's what makes us individuals not hiding away in our rooms waiting for you know something bad to happen absolutely brilliant i love that absolutely love that totally on the same page with you so just to wrap up tell us what's your long-term uh vision for yourself and your brands anything any new anything new coming up or just whatever you'd like to share so i've stopped doing long long long-term plans because I, every time I make a long-term plan, when I get to the age of realizing it, I want something different because <laughs> the person that made the plan in the first place doesn't exist anymore. Oh, very good so, point. So, yeah. so the goal that I made at 25 for, for when I'm turned 30, 
by the time I got to 30, it was not what I wanted at all, if that makes sense. So yes. in, 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 in the short term, um, I want to get things reopen. I want to take the lessons from this downtime and implement them. I want to look after my teams, make sure they're motivated and, and healthy and happy to continue pushing that mission. Um, and I guess in terms of literal plans, um, I'd love to get another site. Um, we'd, we'd love to get uh, another site open for by Chloe this year. We're looking at, we've got a launch coming up abroad. Um, I can't say where at the moment, but I'd love to get that, that boxed off, which is due for later this year. Um, I'd love to get um, the next uh, lot of vegan doco sites open uh, this summer, which we're, we're due to do. Um, oh, sure so next time I come well. to London, I can order vegan pizza from a vegan pizzeria. Is that right? Exactly. That's, awesome. Yeah, exactly. Love exactly. it. Because I love Screamers exactly. Pizzeria in New York. Oh, yeah, and I don't great, really like it? having to go to Brooklyn to do it because I'm more of a Manhattan kind of girl. It's a bit of a schlep to Brooklyn, but I love Screamers. And I would love there to be yeah a vegan version Screamers um, is great. Yeah, in London. Yeah, and I, th- I think long long term, like I just I just like I just like I like helping businesses either veganize what they're doing or launch vegan products or services or help vegan businesses. Fantastic. I love it. Well, we'll put a link to your website where people can find out more, but it's been wonderful speaking with you, Louis. You've shared some brilliant insights and uh, tips and everything. I think people are going to find this episode very valuable. So thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. No, thanks a lot. Take care. So that was Louis Blake award-winning vegan marketer and serial entrepreneur. You can find out more at louieblake.com and Louis is spelled L-O-U-I. And you can find that link on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 142. Now for some vegan business news highlights. Australia's first vegan certified fertiliser has been released. According to Vegan Australia, Yates Vegan Fertiliser is the first product of its type and will fill a currently unmet need for people who want to grow plants without using any animal products. It's a balanced plant food that contains a blend of natural minerals as well as slow-release and fast-acting fertilisers that gently feed the plants for up to three months. Due to it being low odour, it can be used on all indoor and outdoor plants, including natives. The vegan fertiliser can be used on garden beds or vegetable patches, indoor or outdoor potted plants, flowers, annuals, shrubs, trees, orchids and lawns. Certified by Vegan Australia, the product is available in national hardware chain Bunnings. How cool is this? <laughs> I must admit, I don't have green fingers and my wife Tracy is the one who organises and looks after the potted plants on our balcony. I insisted on having silver and gold glittery synthetic roses in our lounge. <laughs> but for people interested in any form of gardening or plant care, this is fantastic news. And I'm really loving how so many different industries are veganizing. Let's hope others follow suit. Great stuff. A UK bookstore is set to become a vegan mini hotel, reports Veg News. 
Paul Bain, who currently owns a plant-based cafe at the back of the space in Margate, a seaside town in Kent in the southeast of England, plans to open a five-room operation complete with vegan-only bedding and toiletries. The new hotel will also include a rooftop terrace, a vegan restaurant on the ground floor, and an extended mezzanine. At the moment, that's May 2020 if you're listening in the future, we're still in the midst of the COVID-19 global pandemic, but it's not stopping vegan hospitality and travel businesses from getting ready to open once travel resumes. Greece is also set to see the launch of its first all-vegan hotel, possibly in the next couple of months. Kukumi plans to open on the island of Mykonos and will include a vegan restaurant and spa. I have to say I'm pretty pumped that there's a vegan eatery and soon-to-be hotel in Margate as I grew up in the southeast of England in Dartford which is on the border of London and Kent and we'd go for day trips to Margate in the summer. Now, obviously, fish and chips were and are the mainstay of restaurants, particularly along the seafront. So I love that vegan businesses are making their way into these kinds of areas. Brilliant. Finally, a quick update on the new initiative I announced a couple of episodes ago, the Plant Powered Women's Network, a global ethical leadership membership community for vegan women to help them become leaders in their fields. I'm thrilled to announce that enough women took advantage of the special annual founding members investment by the end of April to make the project viable. Women from various professional backgrounds, from investors and venture capitalists to entrepreneurs, corporate executives and NGOs, and many other sectors from across the globe have joined. Between now and June, I'll be working on the official launch of the network, including getting the front-end website and the membership portal built, as well as the initial content and trainings. And I've got even more good news. The special founding member annual investment is being extended until the launch. I know we're in challenging times at the moment with the COVID-19 crisis, so you now have until the last week in June, again that's 2020 if you're listening in the future, to take advantage of the 99 US dollar annual fee. That works out at the equivalent of $8 a month or just $2 a week, so it really is great value and comes with some fantastic free gifts worth over $200. So if that's something that excites you and you're able to invest 99 US dollars, I hope you'll join as a founding member. And there's a link with details on the show notes page for this episode. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you like the show, please give it a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on as it helps to get it seen by more people. There are more free resources on the veganbusinessmedia.com website to help you in your quest to build and sustain a successful business. And if you'd like to work with me personally on promoting and growing your vegan business or brand, you'll find details on how to do this on the website at veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the Work With Me menu link. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 